Howdy folks, and welcome to another splendid episode of Allergic to Silence, wherein I inflict terrible opinions upon people who definitely deserve better than they're getting. My name is Paul. For the next half hour or so, I'm your entertainment. And speaking of entertainment, do y'all remember that show it ended years ago, Crossing Over with John Edward? He was only one of the latest in a very long line of shit-heeled con men who fleeced innocent, gullible people. His immediate predecessor? Miss Cleo. What do they have in common? They're frauds, and they deserve to be remembered as such. Today, we'll talk a lot of smack about them, and also about the kinds of folk cruel enough to take advantage of the vulnerable. Not just that, we'll also go over how they managed to make so much money by being so fundamentally dishonest. Let's make some noise. Barnum is reported to have observed, there's a sucker born every minute. That's all well and good, but if we factor in the population explosion and skyrocketing birth rates in the generations since he first made that observation, there's now a sucker born every 27 seconds. And boy, there are a lot of suckers out there. Now, Barnum's uh, observation can be seen as the modus operandi for every single con man who ever existed even before the phrase did. And by the way, about that word, con man, it's shorthand for confidence man. And the phrase comes from about 1850 or so, where a scammer would persuade someone to fork over some financial support as a gesture of confidence in what they promise. In almost every city I've ever lived, there was a hovel. A shack, barely big enough to be called a house or a lodging, a flimsy arrangement of press board nailed together into something resembling a domicile. You've seen places like it, I'm sure. These were the types of houses over which hung signs proclaiming palmistry or tarot, or the more general psychic readings. But so far as I can recall, I only ever went to one such place with a friend, specifically to require sacrament herbs, which turned out to be rose hips for tea and a little bit of chamomile as well. In my case, this apothecary was run by a few older women who called themselves witches only because it was amusing and why the hell shouldn't they have their fun. This friend, her name's Nikki, once offered to read my tarot. Out of amusement, I let her. That was so many years ago that I can't recall the specifics of which cards were dealt, except that there were a few cards which, despite my cynicism and skepticism, did give me a little thrill to have drawn. Those were The Lightning Struck Tower and The Devil. What a combination. When she drew those cards for me, she said this, Oh boy, it looks like somebody's done you wrong, you know? It looks like... Wait, let's, let's pull some more cards. And she did. With each card, circumstances seemed to become more dire, more unpleasant, and it was with greater certainty she made these proclamations. For someone who was totally unaccustomed to the tarot, this was kind of intimidating. Honestly, staring at a bunch of symbols I'd never encountered, and the pseudo-mystical way that Nikki interpreted their appearance in the deck, 
gave me a bit of a chill. At this point, I must have been about 15 or 16 years old, not quite old enough to have seen through the superstition for what it actually was. I admit, a part of me did take it seriously, but only after she made her conclusion about what the cards meant. Someone hurt you, didn't they? And more, I think a lot of bad stuff has happened. I can't know what, but the cards spell disaster, I think. I can't tell if it's only bad things that have happened or if there's more to come, but I'm worried about you. The combination of unfamiliar cards, the seriousness of her tone, and the recent unhappy events that had been going on in my life, I had been bullied a lot in school and we were just barely surviving Hurricane Katrina, those things hit me right in the heart. I was shocked at how specific and detailed these cards could be at knowing what I was going through. Until I stopped and gave it a moment's consideration. Who hasn't been hurt at some point? A lot of bad stuff has happened. Well, that's life, isn't it? The evasive, non-committal language about not being able to tell whether this foreseen tragedy was in the past or in the future permitted that prophecy to be completely inaccurate, and, and as long as the future's coming, there's always a possibility the cards could end up right strictly on coincidence. Now, that, that reading was all for fun. We didn't take it too seriously. There was nothing serious about it, nothing to be taken as life-or-death certainty. But for many people, the tarot and the misfortune that the cards and their readers can prophesy are matters for very, very serious attention. There are people out there who will shell out considerable sums of money to have their futures divined from a deck of cards, all dealt by grifters who don't ever use specific, concise language in any of the fortunes or misfortunes they predict. It's not even fair to say that it's a prediction. A prediction is forecasting the likelihood of something to occur. You can't predict something that's impossible, right? Uh, but let's think back to what Nikki did. Even if she didn't realize it at the time, she was using a technique that's been employed by con men for generations to swindle people out of their cash— that technique is called cold reading. What is cold reading? A fucking hustle. Let's talk a bit more about this. Cold reading is a technique that has been employed by shills and grifters for generations to convince innocent dupes that the cold reader has some mystical link to the great beyond. It's a confidence tactic. Someone with an overwhelming personality asserts that something is true, and the cowed congregation simply accepts it as fact. But there's more to it than this, of course. Cold reading means that you go into a room, meet with someone, and, from Sherlock Holmes-level deduction, make statements that the individual being read interprets as being specifically about them. It's total nonsense. Think back to what I said just a few minutes ago about Nikki's assessment of my future fortune. She implemented vague statements that apply to almost every person who ever lived. Examples follow the same kind of pattern. You will be confronted by some particular challenge. It's not going to be easy to overcome. Well, that could be taken to mean anything, right? Perhaps for you, the challenge is finding the willpower not to eat a second tasty cake, and my God, it takes all my willpower not to have three in one sitting. Maybe for you, a challenge would be with a person or a work objective. The cold reader, in this case, then issues a proclamation. There is a strong possibility of failure here. The obstacle you face, you'll have to tackle it with cunning, patience, and ingenuity. 
Well, what problem doesn't benefit from those things? Here's another example in more dramatic fashion. Death approaches. Its shadow swells with every passing day. I cannot see the exact moment, but you are moving further from your cradle and nearer to your grave. You have certain bad habits, I think. I would avoid them. Death comes for all of us. It cannot be evaded, only forestalled. But if you persist in this direction, your casket lid will be slammed shut sooner than it must be. But which bad habit am I talking about? Booze? Drugs? Maybe avoiding exercise and looking after yourself? This could be used on almost anyone, and it would eventually be true. Death really is unavoidable, but good habits, they can give you a longer, healthier life. So far, the hypotheticals I've dealt with here are rather wholesome, urging people to be cautious, prudent, and careful. What would a cold reader with negative intentions do? What kind of damage could be done by someone who claims a spiritual connection to the other side? More, if, if they're not cold readers, what does that make them? Hot readers? If a cold reader is someone without any information at all, a hot reader would be somebody with information well before they ever address you. Has there ever been anybody like that? Oh, you bet. Lots of them. For now, let's consider the case of one of the most famous hot-reading religious conmen to ever live, Peter fucking Popoff. You might be thinking, isn't it a bit of a stretch to claim that televangelists and radio pastors are equivalents of dime-store psychics and fortune-tellers? Well, you're right, it is indeed a stretch. It's a stretch insofar as the dime-store psychics and ditzy tea-swilling 40-somethings and a rundown coven have absolutely nothing on the well-established and incredible grift of evangelical sorts. The most notorious to ever be exposed was Peter Popoff. Let's have a little history lesson so that you can really appreciate what a magnificent cocksucking scumbag this malevolent, sharp-suited, dim-wit motherfucker was. Peter Popoff was a pastor. He was one of those jackasses who got on television advertising his services to swollen congregations of ignorant, desperate people. For money, God would be able to cure your sicknesses, however grave. He would be able to remedy whatever ailed you, and he didn't even have to ask what that ailment was. Peter Popoff seemed to know, without ever speaking to you, what was wrong. That was the big draw. Peter Popoff would take the stage and walk his way down to complete strangers, pronounce their names, and know their troubles. All this information was given to him directly by God. There could be no other explanation. Except, you know, there was. Peter Popoff and his wife, whose name I don't remember because I frankly don't care enough about her to learn it, would get his own stooges in the audience, participants in the con, to chat up others and learn a little bit about them, their names, their illnesses, all of that. But how could he associate those issues, just names and problems, with specific individuals? His rotten wife... Her name is Liz, or so Wikipedia says, but I'll probably forget it in 10 minutes. Liz was feeding him information about his guests gleaned from the planted parishioners. He could confidently assess someone's name, their general location, and their specific illness, all by way of a radio put into his ear. 
His wife's voice would announce the name, the illness, and where they were sat, and so it seemed he really, truly possessed some kind of clairvoyant, psychic connection to the other side. Let me be perfectly frank about this. I don't hate many people, but I hate that man. I despise everything he ever did, and when he dies, I'm going to make it a point to visit his grave and dance on it and then piss on his headstone. I'm talking active, premeditated grave desecration, and I don't give two flying fucks who knows it. Y'all think I'm playing? Nope. I am completely willing to get arrested for trampling the ugly monument to his awful memory. Peter Popoff wasn't just putting on a show. He wasn't just having some fun. That bastard was hurting people, fleecing them for money, convincing them that some kind of financial donation to his cause would bring about a cure for their sicknesses. These were invalids, people sickened with cancer, stricken with grief over their impending mortality. And that scoundrel, that rotten bastard, that low-down goddamn bipedal catastrophe swindled them. Peter Popoff deserves rebuke. In my opinion, he deserves a long walk off a short pier. But don't worry, he was exposed by none less than the magician James Randi. Randi and his crew of skeptics decided to tune in to the radio broadcast over which Liz was giving Peter his valuable information. He recorded it. He exposed it. And for a while, Popoff was unable to scam anybody. I'm so sorry to report that he's back at it, and this time he's selling miracle water, or at least he was a few years ago. Yet just when you think this motherfucker cannot possibly go lower, he keeps on digging. Well, so be it. Peter will get what he deserves eventually if all we do is wait. There's no way you can go around fleecing people like that without having some kind of consequence, right? Well, it depends. In the early 2000s, after the national tragedy that was 9-11, people were desperate for a sense that everything would eventually return to normal. Having no foreknowledge of the pandemic that would come years afterwards, they couldn't know that normal was a possibility so remote it didn't bear seriously considering. So they did what any reasonable person would do. They became obsessed with whatever was on television. If you liked scummy, trashy people, there were talk shows. If you wanted to peer into someone else's drama to be reassured your life wasn't all that bad, there were televised court proceedings. And if you wanted a degree of certainty that we endure after our deaths and that it is at all possible to communicate with the great hereafter, you watched Crossing Over with John Edward. John Edward. There was a legendary episode of South Park taking this dickhead down, and it was one of the greatest moments in television history. John Edward, you see, presented a credulous take on the afterlife, specifically that he had some key to the kingdom that permitted him unfettered access to the ghosts of the people you love. The audience would come in seeking some kind of certainty that the people they adored weren't really gone, and Edward capitalized on this. I mean, literally, he capitalized on misery and made a fortune doing so. He lied through his fucking teeth, conning the mournful, suffering survivors. In some cases, the loved ones they missed so dearly had died unpleasant deaths. And here was this con man, this confabulating bastard, giving them the lies they so desperately wanted to be true. What they don't show you on the television version of Crossing Over is that he missed a lot. He had a lot of terrible predictions that were complete misses. But of course, on the show, you only see the success. Yeah, John Edward was perhaps the most famous at it, but he was by no means the first, and he won't be the last. Mediums are like psychics insofar as they both have a con game to run and have an almost total absence of conscience. 
but much though I'm aligned psychics in general, I have a particular hatred for anyone who can be mean-spirited enough to charge a premium for the blissful falsehood that the other side can be breached by way of some schmuck with no sense of decency or shame. You might imagine that having access to the internet would make people more aware of how this bullshit works, but no, no, thanks to the power of cognitive dissonance, people can go online, find articles that support their perspective, and ignore everything else that contradicts their beliefs. Edward got sued for his bullshit in the early 2000s, but it was settled out of court, and so far as I know, he's still running his grift mill on innocent people. I do sometimes wish that we could convene with the dead. That way, when he finally passes, I can send him a psychic message letting him know what a piece of shit I thought he was. He hasn't been the only scammer working the airways, of course. In fact, there was one vaguely Jamaican spinner of silliness who dominated long before he did. Yes, that's right. I'm about to talk shit about Miss Cleo. Call me now, darling. It was a refrain I heard a lot on late-night television in the late 90s, always uttered in the fakest Caribbean accent to ever blight the airwaves. This catchphrase belonged to none less than Miss Cleo, whose real name was Yuri Del Harris, and she was born in California. If you're young enough not to have seen her commercials, it's totally worth the 10 minutes to look them up on YouTube or other video platforms and witness the sheer temerity, the audacity that lady possessed. Possessed in the past tense, because she's dead. I'm not going to celebrate that. She was a grifter, sure, and a confabulating jackass with an accent lifted directly from the outtakes of Cool Runnings, but she didn't die a pleasant death, and I can't bring myself to be as shitty to her as she was to everyone else. Hold up, you might find yourself saying. She was just running a telephone hotline for psychic readings. How much harm could that possibly do? A lot, actually. It wasn't just that she advertised fraudulent nonsense— it's that she guaranteed it was accurate, and she adopted an extremely aggressive sales pitch. She encouraged the people working for her to persist with their callers and annoy them for yet more services. People like Miss Cleo capitalized on our sense of fear about the future. And if you are a certain kind of person, you will divest yourself of incredible sums of money for any kind of assurance that the future possesses hopeful possibility. Or, viewed another way, you might pay to have someone confirm that the bad things you suspect may happen really will happen, so that you can feel justified in your dour assessment of life and everything in it. She was the queen of psychic fuckery, but she wasn't the last. There are still hundreds, thousands of people out there sapping others of their disposable income with dishonest misrepresentations of their psychic aptitude. <sighs> Shit, with a little practice, anybody can be a psychic. Oh, you don't believe me? Fine, I'll prove it. As of this moment, I am no longer Paul, the host of Allergic to Silence. I am the Great Zigzag, a master of the mental arts and commander of all things psychic and erotic. Uh, wait, wait, no, not erotic, esoteric. Yes, that was the word. Now, for this to work, I'm going to need you to get into a quiet space where you can clear your head. Maybe light a candle. Not for mystical reasons, I just think candles are pretty. Now, within your quiet space, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think of a number between one and ten. Don't worry, I won't ask you what it is. Have you got it? Have you got the number? Good. Now, I want you to take that number and multiply it by two. So, your first number times two. 
Now, I want you to add 8 to the result. Got it? Take your first number, double it, and add 8. And now, I want you to divide that new number by 2. Got it? Okay. And now, final operation, I want you to subtract the original number from the total. And now, the number you have remaining is 4. Neat, right? And if you didn't end up with 4, then you have a bigger problem than me being a bad psychic. The problem is you can't fucking count. Anyway, witness my psychic abilities and aptitude, and also understand that it's a mathematical inevitability that any number you choose between 1 and 10 would give you the same result every single time after you follow these simple operations. It doesn't matter which number you start with, it always, always works. This is an example of what's called mentalism by honest performers or an intangible connection to the other side by charlatans with a ton of guile and not a single ounce of guilt. As with cold reading, it's a tactic that can be employed by anyone, anywhere with only a little training and a whole hell of a lot of confidence. If I can do it, you can do it. And if anyone can do it, why in the world would we believe that some random schmuck has a better connection to the hereafter than we do. Now, I came down pretty hard on psychics, mediums, and all the other con artists out there who don't produce anything useful and take people's hard-earned money away from them. But some of you might take umbrage with me lumping in harmless stuff like astrology and reading the tarot with people who are actively participating in swindling innocent dummies. I'll permit that, while they are absolutely as bullshit as cold reading and the hordes of psychic jackasses out there glad-handing the rubes, they aren't nearly as damaging, provided that you know ahead of time they don't actually mean anything. Things like the tarot can be useful ways to frame a conversation, to discuss the outcomes we're sometimes dealt in life, and to share understanding with one another about the kinds of things we value. Each symbol of the tarot, each major arcana, is a theme that appeals to some of us more than others. For myself, I don't believe in the tarot at all, but I am rather partial to the Hierophant. What's that? Well, the Hierophant is the High Priest. Depending on your perspective, its presence might be taken to mean authority, tradition, and reverence for establishment. Or, you could look at it this way. The Hierophant can be representative of independent thinking, self-governance, self-discipline, but in all cases, a search for meaning, understanding, and knowledge. Symbols can be instructive, but, and this should go without saying, they are never genuinely predictive. If you're only having fun with this stuff, then good, so be it, have a blast. But the moment you begin to seriously consider turning to some card-shuffling fortune teller for assurance your future will be good, or confirmation that your vague, diffuse sense of dread is justified, do me a favor. Pick a fucking regular deck of cards and play solitaire instead. It's a better use of your time and it doesn't enrich frauds. Well, that's all for today, I think. Just remember, psychics are bullshitters, mediums are liars, and anybody who tells you different is probably selling something. They're just regular old shills. Speaking of shills, if you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it via social media. You can find Allergic to Silence on all the major podcast platforms, but I happen to like Spotify. By sharing this, you increase the likelihood that I can take this engine of cynicism mainstream and turn it into a vehicle for advertisement. What? 
I literally just spent 20 minutes telling you why psychics are shills and grifters for lying their asses off. At least I'm telling the truth. I went in on that motherfucking Casper money, you know? Hell, they advertise for everyone else. I wonder... I wonder if in the future they'll ever advertise with me. Maybe I should call a psychic about it. Nah. Until next time, stay loud. Thank <laughs> you.